0: Please remain standing this morning. Take your Bibles. First Samuel—that's the Old Testament. I know Sunday mornings we've been there, looking at the life of Moses, but we're going to shift lanes this morning. First Samuel, chapter 19, very beginning of the Bible: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. First Samuel. First Samuel 19. As of course, it's Thanksgiving weekend. And i think it's fair that we shift our thoughts over to this idea of being thankful again first samuel chapter 19 i'd like us to read three verses then we'll have a word of prayer first of all verse 1 then we'll read verse 11 and verse 12 and i take my thought from what happened in verse 12. so again first samuel chapter 19 if we'd read together reading out loud verse 1 then verse 11 And then verse 12, let's start there, verse number one. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. That's quite a thought. Verse number 11, Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, we're so thankful for each one that's here. Lord, the most important one that's here is you. And Father, we pray that you would have free course in our minds and our hearts this morning. Help us, Lord. It's Thanksgiving. Even the world sets one day aside for that. And Lord, for a Christian, we have a reason to be thankful every day. But Lord, as we look into this passage and others, God, there's something that you did for David that I think that you continue to do for your people. Lord, would you help us to focus on being thankful for this? Help us direct my words, fill me with your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, this weekend is called Thanksgiving Weekend. And uh, don't we have so much to be thankful for? Uh, Here's some quotes from people. If a fellow isn't thankful for what he's got, he isn't likely to be thankful for what he hopes to get. Uh, Some folks, uh, if you said, uh, what do you really, really, really want? Well, listen, folks, if you're not thankful for what you have, it's not likely that that's going to satisfy you. As someone else said, a heart of gratitude can transform common days into thanksgiving days, turn routine jobs into joy, and change ordinary opportunities into blessings. Another has said a thankful heart is not only the greatest virtue, but it is the parent of all other virtues. Uh, maybe some of you have heard the name Bob Jones, Sr. There's a Bob Jones University in South Carolina started by an old Methodist preacher named Bob Jones, Sr. And he had some great sayings. If, if you ever get a book on uh, written by Bob Jones, Sr., it'd be worth the buy. If you ever go into a used bookstore, I know that some of you do. And uh, if you ever get anything by Bob Jones, Sr., I didn't say Bob Jones, Jr., I didn't say Bob Jones the third or the fourth. there's all of them. Bob Jones Sr. And you know, it was Bob Jones Sr. said, when gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. In other words, if you're no longer thankful, you've lost a lot of hope. Someone said, when I started counting my blessings, my whole life turned around. Uh, we, we sang that song, Count Your Blessings. Many years ago, I I heard about a family, a Christian family, and they said, you know, too often by the end of the year, by Thanksgiving time, we forget all the little things that God has done for us. So they made a little box, and it had a little slot on top, and had some blank pieces of paper beside, and this family, the father of the home, said to his wife his children, whenever God does something that's a blessing to you, You need to write it down, put it in there, and we'll just just see what God does through the year. And when it came up to their Thanksgiving time, I think they were Americans, so it was American Thanksgiving. Uh, We Canadians were just thankful sooner. That's why ours is first. Uh, That that man opened the box, and uh, he said, I want to remind you of all things that God has done. And they read those things one at a time, and, and the children said, I forgot that God did that. His wife said, you know, I lost track, that was a great thing. That's counting your blessings. I say to you, someone said, when I started counting my blessings, my whole life turned around. Someone else said, uh, we would worry less if we were more thankful. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. And then the last one, someone said, enjoy today's little things. For one day, you might look back and realize that they were really big things. And often, we take things for granted until they're gone. Uh, I read in my humor section of my message last Wednesday. I'm going to mess this quote up, but it's worth trying. It's at least worth trying. To the whole world, you might be only one. But to one, you might be the whole world. You say, Preacher, I I think people have forgotten me. I think people have taken me for granted. I guarantee that somebody looks to you for their encouragement. You are the whole world to somebody. And so again, we're trying to remind yourself about thankfulness. Preacher, what's going on here in 1 Samuel 19? Well, we know just a few chapters earlier, in chapter 16, there was a young Jewish man named David. And he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. Now, that sounds like a great thing. The only problem is they still had a king. Saul was the present king when David was anointed to be the next king. So David had to wait, and he just had to be content with what God had for him not until he could push saul out of the way but until god did that and it's a great thing to be thankful for what you have until god changes it so david waited at first he was a shepherd of his father's sheep and he was happy with that until his dad asked him to go take these cheeses to his older brothers in an army in a battle David did that, and, and through a course of events, David shifted from being a shepherd of his father's sheep to being a soldier in Saul's army. He ultimately became a, a, king, or a, sorry, a captain of Saul's army, and uh, he was su- so successful at being a captain. I'll look back there in chapter 18 and verse 6. He, he became such a hero in Israel that the top song on the, on the charts, First Samuel 18, verse 6, the Bible says, and it came to pass as they came, that's David came back from the battle, Saul came back from the battle, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music, and the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands. Well, that must have made Saul pretty good. Until verse 2 of the song. And David his ten thousands. Oh my. You know what? That planted a jealousy in Saul's heart. And from that point forward, Saul was angry. Look at the very next verse, 1 Samuel eighteen eight. The Bible says, and Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him, the song. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. And from that day forward, King Saul sought to kill David. And so David's on the run. In fact, the Bible says several times that David took a, sorry, Saul took a javelin and literally tried to kill David. Oh, when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 19, look at verse 1 again. And Saul, that's the king, spake to Jonathan his son and all his servants that they should kill David. So now David has a price on his head. David is in his home with his wife. Look there, if you would, in verse number 11. 1 Samuel 19, verse 11, Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. And so Saul has not only put out the word, anyone that can take David's life, take it. I'll pay for it. Now, verse 11 says, Saul has sent some soldiers to encompass David's house. They are watching the front door and they're watching the back door. And it seems that Saul's wife, her name was Michael, she looked out the front door and, and saw these soldiers waiting for her husband. Looked out the back door and saw these soldiers waiting for her husband. And I'm sure David in that predicament said, there's no use. I'm as good as dad. Look what his wife said, verse 12. So Michael let David down through a window. His wife said, honey, I know the front door you can't get out. And I know the back door you can't get out. But we do have a window. And you can get out that window. God provided David a way to get out of that trouble, and it's by a window. Could I make this statement? God is still in the window business. And whatever situation you individually, your company, your church, your family, your relatives, your in-laws, your outlaws, folks, God is still in the business of putting windows in our life that are going to help us out of those things. Again, I say that God's in the window business. I read this story, true story, recently. It was back in 1984. And there was a man named Mike who, he, his wife, his children, they attended a church in the east coast of the United States. And one Sunday evening, they went to church, parked the car, went inside the church, sat down. And the sermon was all about taking a special offering. You can relax. I'm not preaching on that. But the sermon was all about taking a sacrificial offering, and they were going to collect that offering at the end of the sermon. And uh, this man, Mike, uh, he only had a $50 bill in his wallet. How awkward. He, he, he wishes he had 10 fives, but he only had 150. And he's trying to talk God out of what God is telling him to do. Lord, I can't give that over. Lord, that, that's the money that I'm going to need For food for uh, the next few weeks, God, I can't. And God says, I'm telling you to put that 50 in the offering basket. True story. Sure enough, when that offering basket comes by, he takes out his last 50, his last dollar, takes out his last 50, puts it in there, and his wife looks at him in shock. And he looks at her and says, we just have to trust God. You know, after that service was done, uh, her looks to him weren't the best of looks, and uh, they shook the hands of the preacher, good message, walked out to their car. Just a few minutes later, they all came back in, husband, wife, children, all excited. They walked to the preacher and said, you've got to come out to find out. And he's saying, what, oh, what, what, what? He follows this family out to, be, to find something. And they look through the closed windows of their 20-year-old station wagon. And uh, it's got bags and bags of groceries. And he says to the pastor, look at that. And the preacher said, well, someone to be kind. Don't, don't make more of it. That-. He said, no, preacher. I know when I got out of the car, I locked the doors. And there were no groceries in there at that time. He said, "God did it." And the preacher said, "Oh, I think you're making two. He said, "No, God did it. God not only put them in, but God opened those windows to put them in. Now, you can believe what you want. This man believed that God blessed him for his obedience now again. we're not taking offerings to relax. But God is in the window business. If, if you are doing what God tells you to do, where it looks impossible every other way, God can do it through a window. I, I've got a similar story, but it's not a blessing at all. I remember before I got married, I owned a number of vehicles. And uh, one of the last ones that I bought before I got married was a 1978 baby blue two-door cutlass supreme brome brings back great memories and i was so proud of that car up to that point the pastor would often say we've got a new visitor that needs a ride called me up would you pick him up sure up to that car but after i bought that car i loved that car too much and so he'd call me up and he said, "You know what?" He said, "We got a visitor that needs a ride to church. Would you pick?" I would make up reasons why I couldn't. I said I can't, got to, I got to drive somebody else. I won't be dri-. I mean all I love that car too much. Well, a couple of weeks passed. It was a Sunday night. I think it was Brian and I counted the offering. He and I both counted offering Sunday night back in Niagara Falls. And I remember the preacher came in, and he said to both of us, there's a snowstorm, and maybe you should lock all this up and and count it some other time. We're going to handle it. No, no, really, there is a snowstorm that's blowing through right. Everybody else from the church left. There is a snowstorm that's blowing through it. And I said, that's not a problem with my car. My car can get through anything. But, folks, we finally did finish counting the offering. And we went out there, and sure enough, you talk about a blizzard. There was a ridge of snow right through the parking lot, and I was parked on the wrong side of that ridge of snow. I thought, piece of cake. I got a car. Do you know, folks, I used my key, unlocked that door. It was full of snow. This was back in the days when they used to have a hump on that floorboard. You could see no hump. There was snow that was level with the seat. There was snow in the front, there was snow in the back. You say, well, Preacher, you shouldn't have left your window open. I didn't. Well, you shouldn't have left your car doors unlocked. I didn't. I think God knew that I loved that car too much. I think the Lord sent some angels down and opened some windows, and they just helped all that. God's in the window business. You can say what you want, but you do what's right, and God will open some windows to help you but you don't do what's right, and God will open some other windows that you don't want. I'd like to preach this morning on this title, Thankful for Some Windows. Again, Thankful for Some Windows. Let's start here in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse number 12. Look at it, if you would. So Michael let uh, David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. I'm going to use that word right there in the verse. First one is the window of escape. Do you know that David here found himself in big trouble? Now, you know it's true that sometimes the trouble that we're in, we did it. Sometimes the trouble that we're in, we caused it. We said something we shouldn't. We did something we shouldn't. And folks, quite honestly, some of our problems are self-made. But that is not the case here with David. Here, David has enemies, but not because he did what was wrong. He has enemies because he did what was right, and uh, in spite of him doing what was right, the king decided that he was going to kill David. I think that's a pretty serious situation. Have you ever done what's right and had people that hate you for it? you ever said something that's right and had people that became your enemy for it? That's exactly what situation that David found himself in. Say, preacher, I, I don't deserve that. Pastor, I, I didn't bring this on myself. It wasn't foolish words or foolish uh, things. I'm saying sometimes what God does is sometimes God opens a window of escape. And uh, if your heart is right this morning, if you are trying to do that which is right, Could I remind you that uh, when it looks just like with David, that it's absolutely impossible, God can open a window. You remember the nation of Israel. Exodus 12, they had been four generations in bondage in Egypt. We know that they were delivered out of Egypt. We know that uh, as they made their journey, the Bible says they came face to face with the Red Sea. They could go no further. On the one side was mountains, on the other side was mountains. Behind them was the army of Egypt that was pursued. Folks, all the doors were closed from their escape. Yet the Bible says that God opened up the Red Sea. God opened a window of escape. I say to you that uh, whatever trouble you might find yourself in, God can open a window if your heart's right. Say, Pastor, I'm in financial trouble. Well, if you have been honest with your finances up to now, if you have given God his part, if you have given those that you, your creditors their part, if you have not wasted and floundered your funds, you say, Preacher, I'm in financial trouble. If you have been honest with the funds that God has already given you, You can count on God to help you with a window to get out of financial trouble. You can't count on that if you've not been honest with your finances. Say, Pastor, my trouble is not financial, it's family. I have family that's abandoning me. Do you know that God can open another window? God can add to you an extended family. It might not be flesh and blood. It might be a church family. Say, well, Pastor, my trouble is frustration trouble. I thought something would happen and it didn't happen. I'm saying to God can open a window. The Apostle Paul, you know, he wrote half of our New Testament. And yet, do you know that very early in his saved Christian life, that man Paul was in the city of Damascus. Only been saved a short time. He was in the city of Damascus and those of Damascus hated him for his preaching. Well, the Bible says, we won't turn to it, but Acts chapter 9, it says that the people of that city watched the gates day and night to kill him. Didn't look very good. And yet, you know, we read later that it was through a window in a basket that he was let down. I say, first of all, in this business of being thankful for some windows, the first window that God supplies is a window of escape. He'll supply it from trouble. Before we go to the second one, do you know not only He'll supply a window of escape from trouble, He'll supply a window of escape from temptation. The Bible says, there are no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. So you can't say, I have faced something that nobody has ever faced before. Folks, all of us face temptations, but others have to. So there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to men. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. God will help you to escape from trouble god will help you to escape from temptation joseph in the old testament he was a slave in egypt he was bought by a man named potiphar so he served in potiphar's house he was so dependable that potiphar entrusted to joseph his slave everything but that potiphar had a licentious wife Her business was to attract the eye of every other man. She tried to attract the eye of Joseph. But you know, time and time again, God gave him an escape from that. If you're in trouble, there's a window that God will give. Take it. If you are being tempted with the same thing over and over again, God has a window. But think about this. If you would, before we get to the next thing, as we think about windows, do you know, windows aren't quite as easy to spot as doors. Doors are obvious. Windows are sometimes a little less obvious. You have to look for a window. Second thing, doors are big. Most times, windows are smaller than doors. It'll be easier if you escape that thing to the first door. Think about this. Some of us have basements. You know, the windows on your main floor, no doubt, are bigger than the windows in your basement. The, the, The farther that you go in this temptation, it's going to become harder and harder to find a window to get out of it. Maybe you're a Christian that the devil's really got you by the short hair, (laughs) or the short hair, or wherever your hair might be. What are you waiting for to escape that fix that the devil's got you in? So I'll, I'll, I'll handle it. While you wait, you're going further and further down in that trouble. God will give you a window, but you have to take it. I I say to you this morning, we're talking about thankful for some windows. The first is a window of escape. I give you a second window. Look there in Genesis chapter number 6, very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter number 6. We're we're trying to be thankful for some windows. And, and, And I dare say, if you looked in this past month, past year, if you remember, probably God gave you an escape from that thing. Did you take it? I give you a second thing. Genesis chapter 6. Look there in verse number 14. Genesis 6 verse 14. We know that God is instructing Noah to build an ark. Genesis six fourteen. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. Look at verse 16. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and a cubit shalt thou finish it above. You know, the world in Genesis 6 had gotten so wicked that God decided, I'm going to destroy this world. God looked down in that world and found one man named Noah. And if you've been in Sunday school a good part of your life, you've heard the story of Noah and the ark. God tells Noah to build this huge boat, this ark, and God says, I want you to build this ark for the saving of your home and for the saving of a select number of animals. So sure enough, Noah builds this ark. And uh, he gets his family of eight in. He gets two of every animal, seven of the clean animals. God shuts the door. There's no door that's open to get out of that ark. Door shut. And you know, the rain began to fall. We all know that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, folks, they were in that ark more than 40 days and 40 nights. They were in that ark, if you do your math, 370 days. That's over a year. Now, if you're an animal lover, good for you. And if you're an animal lover and, and you were cooped up in your house with that animal for a day, no, well, that's okay. For a week, mm, that's a little different. For a month? For a year? do You know, after a while, I would suggest things are going to get a little discouraging. He wasn't in there with an animal. He was in there with hundreds, if not thousands of animals. Some small, some big. I think to you that that could have been very discouraging. You know what God did for someone in a discouragement? Look there again in verse 16. Genesis 6 and verse 16. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. You know, God had Noah put a window in the ark, and and there's all kinds of arguments. Was, Was this a long window that went around? Was this just a window that was... There's all kinds of arguments about exactly what that window looked like. But you know, we can all agree on one thing, it was above. So that when they, in their discouragement, wanted to look Outside of their particular trouble, they had to look up to get that encouragement. You know, in our Christian life, it might not be trouble. It might not be temptation. It might just be discouragement. Pastor, I've I just, I just lost the heart to go on. Preacher, I just don't have anything that I can sink my fingers in to give me hope. That's discouragement. The best of people in the Bible went through times of discouragement. Now, it would have been a foolish thing for that ark to have a big window in the side. (laughs) Think about it. What are they going to see by looking out the side of the ark? All they're going to see is death and carnage because all of the people out there in the world were dead all the animals that were left out there in the world were dead that's all that was there was death and that's why god never said put an, a window in the side god said put a window above Could i say to you whatever your discouragement this morning before you ever got to church You should have spent time looking out of that window. But you're not looking at the world to get your encouragement. You're looking at God. And I trust this morning that before your life got super busy, that you got alone with God. And you began to talk to God. And you began to listen from God. And you opened his word. Maybe you opened a hymn book and began to sing. I say, preacher, I don't sing well. You're singing to him. I'm saying the second window, if you're taking notes, is the window of encouragement. God gives us those things. You might be a super Christian. (laughs) It might be that you never get discouraged. But the rest of us are human. And the rest of us realize, Lord, if I don't start my day getting a glimpse of you, I'm in big trouble. Did you spend your morning getting encouraged through that window? Thank God that he's given us a way to start our day right. You're not going to get encouragement by starting your day looking at Wall Street. Maybe there's some that have investments. not going to get encouragement that way. You're not going to get encouragement by starting your day with Nashville. And all that twang and all the rest that's not going to encourage you through the day. You're not going to get encouragement through Hollywood. You're not going to get encouragement through the sports network. Could I say this? You're not going to get encouragement through email and, and Facebook and social media. Too many Christians start their day by looking at that. And they wonder why the rest of the day has just been a down day, a dark day, a sour day because you need to start your day by looking through the window of encouragement. Still well, a preacher, I've read the Bible before. That, that's great. But God will give you something new and something fresh today if you look through that window. God bless Christians that make a priority. Do you know, Isaiah, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. How many Christians do we find in the scriptures that were in horrible circumstances? Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas arrested. They were beaten. They were thrown into the inner prison. And yet at midnight they sang. You say, well, how could they do that? Because they had spent some time with God. But I give you a third window. Look there in 2 Kings chapter number 7. Second Kings, chapter number seven. If you keep going: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Say, preacher, I, I, I'm just so discouraged. God can encourage you if you will get alone with Him. Second Kings, chapter seven. 2nd Kings chapter 7 look there if you would in verse number two then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said behold if the Lord would make windows in heaven might this thing be preacher what's going on what's happening in this situation do you know that in this particular situation right now, uh, the land of Samaria, that's, that's between Galilee in the north and, and uh, Judea in the south, there's a land called Samaria. And it was in Samaria that the Syrians, that's another army, came and marched against the city of Samaria. And they have encamped around the city of Samaria. And as they're instead of attacking the city, the Syrians decided, we're just going to keep our army outside. We're going to keep any supplies from getting in, any people from getting out. We're going to starve them out. And so as those people in that city saw this Syrian army outside of that city, they thought, we're done for. <laughs> we don't have any hope. What are we going to do? And uh, what happened was uh, the king of Syria, sorry, the king of Samaria, he got so mad. He had to pin the blame on somebody. So he said, let's blame the prophet. prophet was Elisha. He said, let's blame the prophet Elisha. It's his fault. Folks, it was no one's fault but their fault. They had not been faithful to God. These troubles were self-destructive. Uh, self, uh, and so they sent a messenger to the prophet's home. And they said, when you find Elisha, you kill him. Well, God told Elisha what was going on. He said, there's going to be a guy that's going to come in this door and he's after your life. When that guy steps into Elisha's home, and in that home was the king and other, others there. Elisha said, grab him. And they grabbed this messenger, and this messenger said, it's your, you're the fall, Elisha. He said, it's not me. He said, it's you. And they talked about the prices of food gone through the ceiling because they couldn't get any new food. And you know, Elisha said this, God is going to change this tonight. Look at the verse again, 2 Kings 7, and verse number 2, Then a Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, If the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? You know, Elisha, that prophet, he said, tomorrow this time, bananas will be 10 cents a pound. And rolls, 5 cents a piece. pizzas will be cheaper than $5 a piece from Little Caesars. Prices are going to... And there was a skeptic in that crowd and said, if the Lord would open windows in heaven, might this thing be? You know what he's saying? I don't believe it. I don't believe that God is able to turn this around that quickly. You know what happened that night? God caused the armies outside the city to become afraid of a sound. God caused them to hear something and they thought that they themselves were under attack. The Bible says that they, that's the armies outside of Samaria, they fled for their lives. And when people found that they had fled for their lives, the doors of that that city were opened and people rushed so quickly out of the gates of that city. That they trampled on the designated man to keep those gates open. That designated man was the man who said the night before, if God would open windows of heaven. You know what the third door is? A window of expectation. Pastor, this will never turn around. God has a window that he can open. Folks, you have to trust God. He said, a preacher, it looks impossible. How could this ever change for the better? That's what those people in Samaria said. And this prophet said, listen, by tomorrow this time, and people said, never happen. Elisha believed in the window of expectation. Whatever it is that you happen to be dealing with right now, I'm saying that God can well take care of that. Do you know when you decide that you're going to trust Christ as your Savior and thereafter live for him, when you decide that you're going to take your hands off your life, when you decide that you will be faithful to the Lord, that you'll talk to him and let him talk to you, then God promised that he would meet every need that you have. And you can expect that. Pastor, we're done for. No, there is a window of expectation. Some of you would know this verse, Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, That's our God. Our God, it's not like we're hoping that he might possibly. Listen, God can do way more than we could ever imagine. We just have to do the right thing. We just have to do the honest thing and the honorable thing. Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If you are looking for the government to help you out, you're going to be vastly disappointed. If you're looking for your where you were if you're looking for them to bail you out where you were they're they're going to disappoint you but if you're looking for god if that's where your expectation is god will help you i give you the last one look there in daniel chapter 6. i've given you three windows god opens a window of escape middle of the bible is psalms proverbs ecclesiastes song of solomon keep going Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. So right after Ezekiel, Daniel chapter number six. Now up to this point, we've seen three great windows that you can count on. You can count on the window of escape from troubles and and temptations. Uh, You can count on the window of encouragement that God can lift your spirits We've looked at the window of expectation. God will meet your needs. Could I give you one more window? And and maybe this window won't excite you as much. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. The Bible says now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows, notice windows, his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. All of us are encouraged with a window of escape, that God will help us out of our trouble. All of us are encouraged with a window of encouragement, that God will put the right person in the right place at the right time. All of us should be encouraged with a window of expectation. God said that he would supply all of our needs. But this last window. preacher what's going on daniel had become one of three presidents over all the land under the king he was such an honorable president that others were jealous of his position and they figured somehow we have to frame daniel so they convinced the king to pass a law that you couldn't pray to anyone but the king for 30 days, and put out this law. Daniel sees that posted law. Daniel has a choice. I'm either going to follow the government, or I'm going to follow God. He decides it's God who his faith is in. The Bible said there in chapter 6 and verse 10, after he learned that you weren't legally allowed to pray to anyone but the king, he went to his home, he opened up his windows, and he began to pray. Now you'd say, well, that's a good thing that he prayed. Yes, but when he opened his windows, not only could he see out, But you know that the enemy could see in. You know, this fourth window is a window of examination. A window of examination. They had seen Daniel, how he conducted himself in public. But now they were about to see how Daniel conducted himself in private. And the indication is that not just one time praying did it look again at verse 10 daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 now when daniel knew that the writing was signed he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward jerusalem he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed the indication is it was more than just one prayer But those people were watching Daniel morning and afternoon and evening, and he prayed morning and afternoon and evening. There's no telling how many days passed, and they watched that Christian man who, what he was in public, he was exactly the same in private. And what he said when others could see is exactly the same Daniel when no one could see. You know, it's true that there are some Christians, they put on a Sunday face, and they put on a Sunday outfit. But if you or I could follow them Monday through Saturday, their life is so much different Monday through Saturday than it is on Sunday. Do you know God puts a fourth window in our life And this window of examination is so that this world can examine us. And there's no telling what a difference you and I could make in some people's lives if what they see on Sunday is exactly what they see Monday through Saturday. You might keep your cool on Sunday. You curse and swear on Tuesday. You might not gamble on Sunday. But are you in that line for the lottery tickets Friday and Saturday? You might not watch Hollywood and all of its junk on Sunday. I'm saying to you that this world is going to watch and this world is going to determine whether they want the faith that we have because of window that they see into our lives. What do people see? What do people hear? What they saw and what they heard about Daniel. it uh, They didn't like it. They didn't agree with it. But they admired that his life was so much different. So much so that look there at the end of Daniel 6. A- after this whole ordeal. Look there and... Daniel chapter 6 and verse number 25. Then King Darius, that's king, wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel for he is the living God. Hold on a minute. At the beginning of Daniel 6, this king didn't believe in God. He was his own God. What changed that king from himself being God to honoring the king of kings by looking into the window of a believer's life? How important it is what people see. You say, "A preacher, I, I'm just so frustrated. The world's watching. Lost people are watching. How important it is what we do. And could I say you are the best advertisement for Christianity, or you're the worst. Heard about this story of a man who came into the hospital for an operation on his tongue. And uh, he asked uh, the surgeon about what he should expect in the future. And the surgeon responded that he might be able to speak after he goes through considerable therapy. But he told this man, and he was a Christian man, he he told this man, he said, but you will never sing again. And this Christian man, who spent a great deal of his spare time singing the old-fashioned hymns, when he realized that he would never be able to use his tongue to sing again, right there in the presence of the doctors and the nurses, He burst out by singing a song. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuels. It didn't matter that those were lost doctors and lost nurses. It didn't matter who else was in that hospital ward. This man decided it's more important that they hear a Christian sing the songs of God even in the lowest time of his life. What does the world think when they hear you? What do they think when they hear me? What songs do we promote? God has a window. He's got a window of escape. He's got a window of encouragement. He's got a window of uh, ec- uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry Ex- expectation. But he also puts a window of examination. And folks, we just need to pray. That what this world sees in us isn't pushing them away from God, but it's drawing them to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the windows. God has said it already, but you're in the window business.